Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see each of you on the screen here as we're gathering to study the Lord's Word. So um, let's do something. At least I need to. Let's stretch a minute and loosen the body up. And you can lift your hands to the Lord. Whatever you need to do to <clears throat> tune in and get ready. Most important thing is let's take a minute and let's pray. Uh, and ask the Holy Spirit to make this word alive to us. Father, we just want to thank you uh, for the opportunity uh, through these weekdays to come and to be fed, Lord, uh, to be fed spiritually, Lord. We thank you for your word. We know it, it invigorates us, Lord. It gives us strength. Uh, it gives us peace, joy, hope. Uh, and we just thank you for that. And we ask, Holy Spirit, you're the one that inspired these words many years ago. We we pray you'd breathe over them again. Make them alive to our spirits. And we thank you, Lord. I just pray you would underline and highlight to each of us that portion of Matthew 22 that you want to apply to each of our lives. So we thank you, Lord, uh, for what you're going to do, what you're going to teach us. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Away we go. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus answered, and he spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatted uh, livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. They went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers, and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets, and they gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in uh, to look over the dinner guests, he saw that a man was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. 
In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, <clears throat> let's jump in here. If you see in uh, Matthew 22, 1, Jesus answered. He's talking to the Jewish people at this point. And he spoke to them again in parables. Now, a parable uh, is a story that Jesus uses to drive home a spiritual point, okay? It's a story that gets your attention, and he's trying to drive home a point to the hearers. So he says, uh, I want to tell you a parable. Uh, and he spoke many parables. We'll look at that in a minute. Uh, but here he talks about a specific parable, and the theme of that parable uh, is in verse 2. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So the kingdom of heaven uh, is a big deal to Jesus, a big, big deal. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that Jesus' primary message, the central message he had to share with people in his generation and the message he has for us is the idea of the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> now back up just for a minute. You know, before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist was called out of the wilderness and John had a specific mission uh, to call the Jews to prepare their hearts for the coming of the Messiah. But it's interesting to me, what was John's message? Uh, and if you look at Matthew chapter three, verse two, Here's what John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. So what he's doing as he baptizes people, he says, you need to repent. You need to get ready for God's kingdom is coming in. Now, what's interesting, as John is baptizing people there in the Jordan River, Jesus shows up. He's baptized. And after Jesus is baptized, Jesus begins to go and he preaches. And what does Jesus preach? He echoes literally the words of John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus says this uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Same words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is literally saying heaven is breaking into earth. Heaven is breaking into earth. Jesus is saying, by my life, by my teachings, by my acts, I'm going to show you what heaven looks like when it collides with earth and its needs. What Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to begin to bring the reign and the rulership of my father on the earth. And again, I hear Jesus saying, if you listen carefully to what I teach, if you listen carefully to what I preach, if you watch me and you see my healings and my miracles and my exorcism and driving out demons, you literally are going to see what the atmosphere of heaven looks like when it is birthed on the planet. So Jesus' whole message by his life and actions is, I'm bringing a whole new dimension 
into the earth realm. And I want to begin to change things and shift things back the way they should be. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in fellowship with God, and there was an intimacy, <clears throat> and there was a, a tremendous companionship. There was no sin. There was no illness. Uh, there was no psychological disturbances. But we know Adam and Eve fell, and, and it just took everything, and it went south. And I hear Jesus saying, hey, I'm coming to reverse these things. I'm coming to bring forgiveness of sin. I'm coming to, to heal diseases. I'm coming to put broken lives back together. I'm coming to set the captives free. And I'm coming to heal the brokenhearted. I'm bringing heaven on the earth. So Jesus talks about this idea of this heavenly realm. And he does many, many parables. Really a, a great study if you go through the Gospels and look at these parables and the stories. Uh, in the parables, many times Jesus talks about, well, how does the kingdom begin? And then uh, in other parables, he talks about, well, how does the ki kingdom grow after it begins? And then there's other parables uh, that talk about, well, how's the kingdom eventually going to end? And it's really kind of neat. If you want to see some of the parables, uh, let me just give you a couple. Matthew 13, 3, Jesus talks about the sower, sowing different seed in different kind of soils. In Matthew 13, 24, Jesus talks about the good seed that God sown, but where the devil sells, he puts weeds in there to try to mess stuff up. Uh, Matthew 13, 31, Jesus talks about a mustard seed. The kingdom starts small, but then it gets big. Uh, he talks about uh, leaven, again, how the kingdom grows in Matthew 13, 33. Uh, in Matthew 13, 44, he talks about hidden treasure. And it's neat, as you go on and on, he talks uh, about the pearl of great price. In other words, he is the great pearl. Give your life up to him. He talks about separating fish, good fish, bad fish. He talks about uh, kings settling financial accounts. He also talks in another parable about a landowner who sends hired servants to, to basically receive from vine growers the crops and how when these slaves go out, the vine growers who owe the landowner certain things revolt, they turn on the landowner and they basically kill the slaves that go. Uh, and it's interesting, Jesus was addressing this last parable uh, in Matthew 21, and the Jewish leaders realized that when Jesus was doing the parable, see, he said it in a story form, but if you had any insight, you could see beyond that story into what Jesus was trying to say. And the Jewish leaders realized that Jesus was saying to them, hey, you guys are evil and you're bad. So if you look at uh, Matthew 21, 45, I'm just giving a little prelude to where we are today. Uh, the Jewish leaders realized that that parable was against them. It says, 45, and when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they understood that Jesus was speaking about them. And when they sought to seize him, they feared the multitudes because they held Jesus to be a prophet. So Jesus is kind of stirring stuff up. And we're going to see again uh, in this parable in Matthew 22, 
again, Jesus is going to try to drive home a point. And just the, the quick story, uh, it talks about a king who's going to have a feast for his son. And the slaves are supposed to go out, invite people to come to this wedding feast. But the, the people don't respond. And the king says again, okay, I'm going to go out and, and, and invite them a second time. And they blow them off, or they either kill the slaves that are inviting them. Uh, the king gets upset, and he judges them. And again, a third time, he invites another group of people. And that's kind of like the overall theme of this parable. So I thought the best way to go at this today would be to kind of go at it and try to interpret it as we go on, as you can see the meaning that Jesus is really trying to, to drive home through this particular parable. So here we are. So he said here in verse two, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Okay, who's the king? Uh, clearly what Jesus is trying to say, the king there is God the father, okay? Uh, and a king gave a wedding feast for his son, okay? Uh, the son is who? Jesus. And then you might ask, okay, well, what's this wedding feast thing? And it's interesting. There is a, a portion of the scripture that, that talks about the father giving the son a wedding feast. Uh, let me just pull it up for you. It's in Revelation, and it's chapter 19. God's wrapping up the story here in Revelation before he comes back. And if you look at <laughs> Revelation, I'm just going to read it here, uh, 19. John says this, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and it's the sound of many waters, and it's the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. Here it is. For the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride, who's the bride? The church has made herself ready. And it was given to her, the church, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So we know at the end of time, God's going to have an amazing celebration. Satan is going to be defeated. Hallelujah. It's going to be done for him. And when he's defeated... The Bible's clear, and we can see more of that in the book of Revelation. There'll be a new heavens and a brand new earth. And as that's happening, God's going to basically have an amazing feast and a party for those that have loved him and followed him and accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So Jesus is making a reference here about this wedding feast. He's really referring to this feast at the end of time that his followers are going to have in rejoicing in the salvation Jesus had given. So here we go. So a kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, the father, who gave a wedding feast for his son, which is going to be at the end of time. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. Who are the slaves? Well, I believe the slaves are people <clears throat> that were inviting 
the Jewish people to make a commitment to God. In the Old Testament, we know there were prophets, and the prophets were sent to the Jewish people over and over again, come back to God, come back to God, come back to God. And the prophets, one after the other after the other, keep knocking at the door of Israel, say, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. <clears throat> so I think the slaves are the Old Testament prophets. Uh, and I think basically uh, they could be others that were trying to get the word out. But the Jewish people, I think he's referring to here, were unwilling to come. And if you look at the Old Testament saints, they just basically were not saints. The Jews many times rebelled against the prophets. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. <clears throat> so not only could it, those slaves have been the Old Testament prophets, I believe John the Baptist was another one that was being sent to the Jewish people saying, come back. Come back, come back, come back. I think the slaves were also could have been not just the prophets or John the Baptist. They could have been even Jesus and the disciples. Basically saying to the Jewish people, come back, come back to a relationship with God. Come back, experience his salvation. And yet, what was the response? And I think he's referring to the Jewish nation, but more he's, he's honing in on the Jewish leaders. He's, he's honing in on the Pharisees that just had a heart like a rock. They just did not want to hear what Jesus had to say. Just didn't want to hear because it threatened them. And they were jealous of the, just the, the popularity of Jesus. And it says here, uh, the Jewish leaders and as a whole, many times the Jewish people, they were unwilling to come, okay? Verse four, again, he, the king, sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchered and everything is ready to come to the wedding. Again, saying the same thing, that God is, again, trying hard. We've got to see that our God loves the human race. He is wanting desperately to bring the human race back into a relationship with himself. And God is sending laborers back in the day of Jesus, and he's doing that today, trying to knock at people's hearts, saying, come on back, come on back, come on back, come on back. I want a relationship. I want you to know my love. I want you to experience it. I want you to share it back with me. But here again, uh, the re same response, it says in uh, verse three, they were unwilling to come. And here in verse five, even though God the Father is giving an invitation to the Jews and basically to everybody at this point, it says, verse five, but they paid no attention. They went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And here's the, the other side of the story in six. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. We know in the Old Testament, some of the prophets literally were killed as they tried to get the message out to the Jewish people. We obviously know that John the Baptist had his head cut off again because 
People didn't want to hear what he had to say. We know Jesus, in a sense, was killed, as it says here, uh, and was mistreated. We know Jesus was terribly mistreated. He was whipped. He was beaten. Crowns of thorns were put on his head. He was crucified, nails through his hands, through his feet. In all the ways, he was abused to the point of physical death and physical, uh, just total exhaustion. He was totally wiped out. So here we see, basically, I think what Jesus is saying subtly and not so subtly to the people is, we're trying to reach out, but you want nothing to do with us. You're turning the switch. You don't want to hear what we had to say. Not only do you not want to hear it, you're actually going to persecute us because you don't want to hear it so much. You're going to want to annihilate us because what we're saying is so convicting to you. So the Jewish leaders are doing this. No, we, we don't want to hear it. We're going to ignore you. And in fact, not only that, we want to wipe you out because you are getting to our conscience. Verse 7, but the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. <laughs> God is a God of love. We've seen that over and over again. But God is also a holy God. And because a holy God, he has to judge sin. And not only does he have to judge sin, he can't let rebellion just go unchecked. Okay? You think about it. If you have a child... Uh, and your child uh, is basically not wanting to live by the rules of the home. Eventually, at some point, you've got to say, guess what? You've got to leave. These are the rules of the home. You've got to come under our authority. Uh, and basically, uh, if they don't, you have to basically say, okay, there's judgment. You have to leave. And I think what Jesus is implying here uh, is God's going to judge those that don't want anything to do with him. Uh, in fact, it says uh, that the king set their city on fire. Many, many commentators feel that this refers to when Rome sacked the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in AD 70. Uh, it could well have been Jesus knowing that that was going to happen, saying, you know, guess what? Because you have ignored me and rejected me, there will be judgment, and Rome comes in. So going a little bit further, uh, verse 8, then he said to his slaves, you see, God doesn't give up easily. That's amazing to me. God does not give up. He is pursuing the human race. He's pursuing our loved ones. He's pursuing every human being that breathes, and he tries again to reach the lost. Verse 8, then the king said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy, primarily talking about the Jewish leaders and the unbelieving Jews. And he says, go there for to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. <clears throat> so he says, go to the main highways. In other words, go out to the outcasts. He's basically implying the Jewish nation is not ready. So go out to the outcast, go out to the prostitute, go out to the tax collector, go out to the Gentiles. Maybe they're going to be more responsive than my own Jewish nation. 
So the slaves go out and they're they're trying to find all these people and they're inviting people. Come on, come on, come on to the wedding. <clears throat> and it says here, 10, and those slaves went out into the streets and they gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding shall be filled with dinner guests. So they gone out and they found evil and good. So they found people that were just plain evil and bad and probably good, meaning those people were the refined people. They thought they were good. Like, hey, I don't know if I need anybody uh, to help me. I can handle it. But they're all invited to come to this wedding. So the king, the father, is inviting every human being who's ever lived to come to the feast. In other words, to come and come experience the joys of heaven. That invitation is given out to mankind. And God is saying here through the parable, I have tried over and over and over again. I've sent invitation over and over and over again by people. I think I could be saying, I've sent invitations to come back to me by circumstances I've allowed into your life. I believe God is saying, I've invited invitations to you to come through people, uh, through your conscience. So God is doing everything he can, but he can't abuse our free will. He can knock, but he's not gonna kick the door open. So, verse 11, but when the king came in, okay, all these people were there. He came to look over the dinner guests and he saw that a man was not dressed in wedding clothes. Hmm. So, what do we do about that? Now, when I first saw that, I thought, what's the, what's the deal? What's, what's the point here? And sometimes you have to dig a bit to get to the truth of some of these parables, okay? So this man basically knew he should have a certain thing, but he goes, yeah, I'm blowing it off. I don't need to necessarily have this wedding thing. It should be no big deal, you know? The king's not going to care one way or the other. Uh, but the king is upset. He said, you're not dressed. So then the, the, the question is, what's the dress here? Okay. And again, I think we find the answer to that uh, in that book of Revelation. Remember, there's a wedding feast. And in Revelation chapter 19, uh, verse 8, it says, it was given to her, the church, to clothe herself in fine linen. Okay, what's the fine linen? Bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So this man, basically, we're going to see in a moment, is kicked out because he doesn't have the righteous acts that he was supposed to do. Now, let me jump in real quickly and say this. The Bible is extremely clear. There's no way we can earn our way into heaven by what we do. There's just no way. Uh, it says this uh, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. In other words, we can't do enough good deeds to clean the slate of our sin away. No matter how much we do, we could stack them to heaven. We can't earn our way to heaven. How do we get to heaven? We put our trust not in what we do, but what Christ has done for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus died and paid the penalty that we needed to pay for our sin. 
Uh, it's interesting, a couple of verses here, Romans 5, 9, it says this, having been justified, in other words, justified means being made right uh, with God, we're justified by his blood, and we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, so, so let's be very clear that we can't earn our way. We're to put our trust in the Lord, and that's how we become righteous. But what, what I hear Revelation says, it says the righteous acts. And I think we, we begin to get a handle on this idea. We can't earn our way, but if we make a commitment to Jesus, it's going to change our behavior. And I think James tries to make that extremely clear. Uh, let me give you a couple of verses here. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it's, this is what James says. What use, it, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and no one of you says to them, go in peace, be warned, be filled, and yet you do not give him what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Here it is. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And then James 2.20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Uh, again, James 2.24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So what I hear... James saying is we're saved not by our struggles, not by our good works. We're saved because we believe in what Jesus did for us. But if we have a genuine faith in Christ, it's going to change the way we are. Even John the Baptist, when people were being baptized, he said, you know, you say you repent, but do the works that represent a true change of heart. So what is that, that dress, uh, that uh, wedding clothes that the man had? That man had not made a full commitment to, to Jesus and had not really proven that commitment by the change of attitude and behavior in his life. So I think, you know, that kind of lands it right to us. Like, am I truly a follower of Jesus? And let me say this, I think I've found this over the years, and I think it's an important thing. A lot of believers are not sure of their salvation. I know a lot of people that have made commitments to Christ. They're saying, well, I hope when I die, I, I, I hope I go to heaven. So there's a lot of I hopes. Uh, and the Bible is very clear that we can not just hope, but we can actually know where our eternal destiny will be. Uh, let me give you a verse. First John chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, and it says this, these things, John says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So John said, you can know, you can know when you die where you're going to be. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt you'll be in heaven. And what are the things that we need to know? Well, 
we need to know, number one, that God loves us passionately. I think that is the primary message of the Bible. God loves us and wants a relationship with us. We also need to know we have a problem. The Bible calls that problem sin. You can call it selfishness, call it what you want. There's something warped and twisted on the inside of us that's not good. The other thing we need to know, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We cannot break the power of sin in our lives. We can't earn forgiveness. We can't earn liberty from sin. We have to put our trust in Jesus that he did for us on the cross what we can't do for ourselves. And the last thing, uh, if we put our trust in Christ, then there should be a knee-jerk reaction that if we know Jesus died for us, I mean, that blows our brain. It ought to. If he died for us, the least I can do is want to follow him and make him Lord of my life, number one. I don't really believe we can have Jesus as Savior without having him as Lord. But if we know we've put our trust in the Lord for salvation, and if we've surrendered our life fully to him, we can, according to John, know that when we die, we know, not I hope, not maybe, we know that we'll be in the Lord's presence forever. This particular thought was not dressed in the righteousness of what Jesus did, and he wasn't living it out. Uh, and he's confronted in verse 12. And the king said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Now he gets really heavy duty in verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, bind this man hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. This guy is literally kicked out of the wedding feast. And he's put in a place of outer darkness. Uh, and in that place, there will be mashing and weeping. He's talking about hell. And it's interesting. In a very real sense, Jesus has more to say about hell in the Gospels than he does about heaven. This is a heavy-duty deal. Uh, there's some verses. Let me give you just a couple as we're beginning to wrap up here. In Matthew chapter 8 uh, and 11, uh, Jesus is talking about the faith of this Gentile. And in Matthew 8, 11, it says, he said, uh, let me see. Here. I say to you that many shall come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Recline at the table, I think, is almost like this wedding feast, okay? Uh but he says the sons of the kingdom, I think he's referring many times here to the Jewish leaders, but the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 24 uh, and verse, let's see here, Matthew 24 and verse 51 uh, Jesus was talking about <clears throat> a servant uh, and not doing the job properly. In Matthew 24, 51, it says, uh, he shall be assigned a place with the hypocrites, hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and gnashing of teeth. In 25, 30, 
uh, Jesus is talking about how people use their talents, their life. In a sense, <clears throat> the same thing. Not just believing, but showing that I really believe by what I do with my actions. And this one fellow basically had not made a full commitment. And the end result, Matthew 25, 30. And they would be cast out, that worthless slave, into outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the last one, Jesus tells uh, a parable uh, about, and maybe it's eh, maybe not really a parable. It's a parable, but it, it's, it's very real about at the end of time, the Lord is going to separate sheep from goats. And the sheep represent those that believe in Christ. The goats are those that have rejected the Lord. And for those that have rejected the Lord uh, in Matthew 25, it says this, 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. <coughs> this is heavy duty stuff. Jesus is very clearly making references here to hell. And he says it's an outer darkness. It's, it's a, a place of regret. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9, we hear this verse. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. <clears throat> so what the Lord is clearly saying here is there is a penalty. And th this, this is very sobering uh, when I think about it. Uh, very sobering. The fact that the Bible is clear Everyone on this screen is going to die. Every one of us. It's inevitable. And the Bible is extremely clear. When we die, we're going to be in either one place or the other. There is no limbo. We do not believe in a purgatory where you're in this kind of in-between land. Uh, you're either in heaven or you're in hell. Uh, this is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Uh, and I believe... Um, that's how we need to ponder, you know, do I know when I die? Do I know for sure where I'll be? Do I know that I've made a commitment to Christ, that he is my Lord, he's my savior? Do we know that? And do we have a passion to share that with the world? That, you know, there's going to be a separation after death. And not everybody's going to be in the presence of the Lord, experiencing the joy. Others are going to be away from his presence. And it's going to be very painful then to realize that they literally missed the boat. But what's interesting to me, uh, just finishing up here in Matthew 22, it says, for many are called, verse 14, but few are chosen. Many are called. In other words, the Lord is calling every person, anybody that ever lived back there. He's calling people here. In this generation, he's calling us. He's calling future generations. It says, many are called, but few are chosen. I don't believe God has favorites. But few are chosen means there's just a portion that are willing to say yes to the Lord. All are called, but few are chosen because many do not want to be chosen. They want to do what they want to do. They want to live their own lives, and they basically want to box the Lord out of their lives. So this is a very powerful, powerful parable. Jesus is basically saying there's going to be a coming 
celebration at the end of time. And there's going to be a party and a celebration for those that have embraced and loved Jesus. But Jesus is also saying there's people that are going to miss this feast and this party. Not because, and get this, it's so important, not because the Lord does not want them there, but because he honors the free will of people. And people can say, as they get an invitation, I don't want it. I don't want you, Lord. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be my own God. I want to do what's important to me. And because of that, God has to honor their choice. And basically, does God send people to help? Yes, but in a very real way they send themselves. So that's, it's, it's very sobering. Uh, we have an amazing message to share with the world to remind them that God is giving them an invitation to an amazing, amazing time in heaven. May the Lord use each of us to get this message out. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this parable, for this story. Uh, Lord, that you were trying to drive home a point that you are reaching out every single day to people and you're inviting them to this amazing celebration of heaven. But Lord, we just pray that, uh, that we would be that person that's, that's not only invited, but accepts the invitation, Lord, that we know that we've, we've invited you into our lives, Lord. I just pray for each of us Lord, that we'd have that assurance, that we'd know that we know if we died, this day, we know we'd be with you in heaven. And Father, give us a burden uh, to go into the world like the servants were sent out, to go out and, and to give this good news uh, and to remind people uh, that there is a heaven to embrace and a hell to shun, Lord. Use us as your servants, Lord, and we just thank you Lord, of being that. And it's in your name, Lord, I pray. Amen. Amen. Good. And uh, go share the good news. Amen.